0: Uma atimiranda <Santhi> sagananda salakaya, chaksunum litam ben atasmai sigravenum. One Krishna Chaitana nitananda soho gurudai Gorodai pushpo unto Chitro Sundo to Krishna Karanasin dinamandu jagat Gopisha, Gopika rakanta, the most te, Tapda kanchana go radhe, brindabanishuri. Krishabhānu sute devī pranamāmi haripriyek. Devgariya vāshnā guru paramparā ki jāya. Good evening. Vini Vrāngbhāgavad-gītā, second chapter. And tonight we enter the section immediately following Krishna's discourse on saṅkhya. And... This was a rather long section and constitutes the first instructions of Krishna to Arjuna who earlier in this chapter accepted Krishna as his guru and asked for him to instruct him. And uh, Arjuna at that point was in a state of desperation and need. This is uh, instructive to us because as Prabhupada sometimes said not everybody needs a guru so unless we are interested in making a comprehensive solution to the problems of life and addressing them head on and with help from above through revelation and so forth then uh, there's no point in getting a guru as a fashion you know there's a story of gorkhishore as babaji marsh and the uh, wealthy uh, merchant a landowner or whatever he was. Babaji Marsh would keep himself out of the eye of the public for the most part. Nonetheless, he was known as a Siddha amongst the people in general. And so this fellow had uh, everything going for himself. He had connections with the government and the industry and what and business and so forth. And, so the only thing that he needed in order to complete his social profile was to have a guru. So he went and thought that he would have the best guru, so he picked Siddha Purusha, Gura Shordas Babaji, and went to him who was in a sitting in the, in the fields where people go to pass stool. And uh, the man came and said, I want to accept me as a disciple and so forth. And and whatever you want, Babaji Maharaja, I'll give you that. And as the story goes, of course, some of you are familiar with the story, the man was said to have been thinking that well what can what can he want? You know, he just lives in the in the field like this. I can build him a house, I can give him a nice place for bhajan, whatever he wants. So, whatever you want, Babaji Marsh, I will give to you, I will do for you, and I want to be your disciple. And so Babaji Marsh says, Well, I only want one thing, and that is that you sit here with me and don't go home. And so the man ran away from there. So uh, we should not. The idea is to get a guru just as a fashion, or to complete our social profile. But to make a comprehensive solution to the problem of life, and in order to have to do that, then we have to sense that have a sense of some necessity, some need. Arjuna's mind, as a as a classical uh, example of the disciple, his mind is reeling. He needs answers. He's faced with a huge. Dilemma. And Krishna is going to try to solve it for him philosophically, logically, practically with his instructions. So, first thing he does, as we know from this section that has just ended, he instructs him in Sankhya. It means the. Sankhya means like complete, and uh, Kya means illumination. So, in, in illumination completely on the nature of things, uh, whatever the thing may be so the thing here is the self and so Krishna speaks in an illuminating and comprehensive way about the self now that talk may not satisfy people of today as we mentioned Mm -hmm. in our previous talk Mm -hmm. but part of the problem of that is, uh, this is kind of common sense in a way and uh, if you hear this section it's appealing but Part of the problem of why it doesn't satisfy, it doesn't satisfy educated people, for example, in the scientific community, is because they have a particular model that they have put together to understand life that works on a certain level to a large extent. But the model itself creates the problem that they perceive in the simple explanation that consciousness is what we are and it's, it's not physical and the physical comes from consciousness rather than consciousness comes from physical. So they're trapped inside this model of reality that solves many practical problems but it can't solve this problem. It becomes a problem only, this problem. It's really not a problem. Everybody in pre-scientific... Society, everybody woke up every day and and thought, "I exist, and I'm I'm a person, and, and I am and, and and distinguished themselves in that way from their bodies." And just a general sense, but they were to think about it a little bit. In the words, with these type of arguments, it'd be easy to convince them. There's a difference between consciousness, the experiencer, and the experienced, and so forth. So these are not very really simplistic arguments. They just, when you create a problem by the model that you try to force everything into, then they sound less appealing. But there's no reason to create that model. It works on a certain level, but it's not a comprehensive model. And there's good reasoning for all that and so forth. So we shouldn't be intimidated by that. Krishna's made many nice points about the nature of consciousness, and of course there's a wealth of this in India. the Upanishads and mystics and so forth, who adhere to their their aphorisms and so forth and uh, readily experience the things that are being talked about. India is a wealth of this. So we come from a rich experiential tradition with regard to consciousness, the nature of consciousness. So Krishna's given a nice discourse on this. He immediately took Arjuna's mind from the problems at hand the war, the battle, this, uh, the fact that he had to fight with his relatives and so forth. Dismissed by way of ignoring all of his objections on the basis of Dharma that he gave in the first chapter. And immediately started talking about the fact that there's no killing that takes place, by the way. And the soul doesn't die. Your soul, their souls, and so on. Now, that's very interesting and I understand we might stop Arjuna in his tracks, but... What do you do with that? That's the question, okay? And what do you do with that when at the same time that Krishna is giving that instruction, he's telling him to fight? Because based on that instruction that you're not the body, you're not the doer, you would move towards inaction and not interacting with things that don't endure and and so forth, the soul endures. Manifestations of matter do not. What do we have to do with those things? And we're an enduring unit of experience. What do we have to do really with things that are here today and gone tomorrow? Not much. So the tendency would be to move away from those things. But at the same time that Krishna is telling Arjuna that your consciousness doesn't have much to do with, with the impermanent, He's telling him to engage in the impermanent at the same time on the basis of his argument. So this is uh, now the answer in one sense to argument's dilemma, which is gives some relief, is creating another doubt. So what in this section, then, about six seven verses, that is a, serves as a bridge between the section on sankhya and the section on yoga. That makes up the better part of the chapter. This is a bridge in between the two, in which Krishna brings it back down to earth. The argument from the abstract philosophical argument that you're not the body, you're a soul, and so forth, that nobody dies, and anyway, and and so on. He brings it back down to earth, and he, in brief, discusses the objections of Arjuna given in the first chapter on the basis of Dharma, and dismisses them on that level. He dismissed them on a higher level of Mm jnana. Now he's going to dismiss them on the level of Dharma, encourage Arjuna to fight, but in a yogic sense, which means with detachment. And then he's going to launch into the the larger section of the chapter, the concluding section of the chapter, about yoga, is a huge part now of the of the the first six chapters of the Gita, the relationship between knowledge and action, basically. So one of the things that's happening here and that, that's important, it's an important part of the whole Gita, is the consideration of adhikar, of eligibility. Arjuna is hearing; he's not the body. That sounds great, but it's not good enough to satisfy him. It makes him disturbed at the same time because of the level of his eligibility. If he had higher eligibility, he would just sit and he would understand it. But he, he he's like, what do I do with this? And then you're telling me to fight at the same time. the reason that Krishna is telling him to fight is because he knows the adhikar of Arjuna. If Arjuna had higher adhikar, he wouldn't have had to fight. So understanding the thing theoretically... For example, that you're not the body is one thing, but acting on that, you can only act on that to the level that you've, you've realized that. So there must be a way of acting, the point is, on a lower level whereby that can be gradually understood and realized. And this is what's going to happen now in the balance of this basically six chapters, where there's a stress on action and detachment and how that brings knowledge and so on and so forth. And which gives one the capacity then to sit to do meditation and so on, and ultimately, of course, he comes to bhakti. But I want to say ultimately he does in the end of the sixth chapter. But it actually has its beginning here, in this chapter. Krishna is going to talk about yoga and the implications. Is he's going to talk ultimately about bhakti yoga. And bhakti, even though has rightfully seen all these types of yoga mentioned in this first section, the first six chapters as basically different aspects of bhakti. So putting them all together, we come to bhakti, so to speak. Whatever can be attained by any of them is attainable within bhakti and more. So that's where we're at. So let's read some of these verses. So this bridge section between sankhya and yoga, in which Krishna addresses dharma. Uh, not a big topic of the Gita, dharma. After all, Sarvadharma, Pradhaja, is the conclusion. Forget the Dharma. Reject the Dharma. And just uh, surrender to me. And that's interesting because why? This Bhagavad Gita is what? It's one chapter of a book about Dharma. The Mahabharata is a long book and it's all about Dharma. Except for this section, right here. (laughs) Which is not really about Dharma. It's really about yoga. It's really about moving beyond righteous activity, good karma, and so forth. And it's ultimately about bhakti. So it's significant that there's little discussion, really, of dharma. Dharma is even, the Christian says, we can step on the head of that, you know, even if you take shelter of me. Really, This is a higher idea. And dharma, incidentally, the laws of dharma are very complex. We We know there are rules to bhakti and people join the mission and so forth. And, oh God, there's so many rules, or, or like you learned about deity worship. God, oh, there's some. Oh man, there's like so many things. You know, <laughs> everybody has that experience. But actually, comparatively, the rules, so to speak, of bhakti are very, very simple and non-complex and relatively few, in comparison to the path of dharma. There's a rule, how to breathe, how to sleep, how to pass air, practically. What direction, what time, what not. You know, it's very, very complex way of in which the the Dharma Mark seeks to arrest human activity and bring it in the direction of godliness. Bring it very in a remote, and indirect way, that human life, bring it in the direction of Pleasing Hari, Sangsiri, Hari Toshanam, Hari Toshanam, the satisfaction of Hari. This is what Dharma is about. So, in a very general way, I say a general way, it means something like this. If you live, for example, in the United States, we have a president. And if you live a good, as a good citizen, you follow all the laws, then you please the president. But he may never know your name. Right? but you've done it, you've pleased the president. It's very indirect, it's very remote. Maybe the president will reach out to one citizen a year and give him the citizen of the year award. And even that is very formal and uh, doesn't constitute much of a relationship with the president. It doesn't please him very much. It really is what it means. <laughs> Formally, he has to acknowledge, yes, you did good, you did good. You upheld the laws, you set a good example. Thank you. So, the um, Dharma marg is something like that in relation to Bhagwan. I mean, we have Bhagwan Sri Krishna, Bajendranandan, and Chaitanya Charitamrita speaking through the pen of Krishna, Skabirash Goswami, saying, Vaidhi Bhakti bores the heck out of me. <laughs> what to speak of Dharma? Yeah. <laughs> he says this does not turn me on very much, it doesn't excite me and that's a very high thing Bhaiti Bhakti, Bhai you're reading Prihat Bhattava Tamrita, is going to Bhai you know, he might get attracted be careful, you have to listen carefully, there's something more ahead, you don't want to get waylaid there in Bhai but it's a very high thing, it's considered confidential knowledge, knowledge of Bhai makes Brahman Realization looks small, insignificant, by comparison. So, what to speak then of Dharma? It's not a big topic here in Gita. Now, that doesn't mean we should be a-dharmic. No, it means that whatever is dharmic, that would be included, in essence, within bhakti, for the most part. But we do have statements like apiccet sudhara Sudarachara is not dharmic. Sudarachara, durachar means bad behavior, and Sudharacharya means very bad behavior. So my devotee might even have very bad behavior. And still, he's my devotee. That's, of course, an interesting verse to discuss and problematic in some <laughs> respects also, because it can be abused. But uh, nonetheless, Krishna speaks very emotionally there about his devotees. See how much he feels for them. A little devotion goes a long way in terms of pleasing him. Therefore, tells Vyas. anyway, even if you do the whole Dharma right, what's the use? What do you get out of that? Nothing. And if you tread the path of bhakti, even imperfectly, you're way better off. <laughs> so, uh, so Dharma is not the big topic here in Gita, but Krishna Arjuna is Dharmic, nonetheless. Mm-hmm. That's important to know. He's, we should be good people. We should be embarrassed to be good people, dharmic at least, given the opportunity that's offered to us through the Guru parampara for engaging in bhakti, whereby such there's potential to become intimately associated with, with Bhagavan. So a few verses about dharma and even the way in which he speaks about them and concludes about them, we see it's, it's just not his interest. He'll conclude his discussion here on dharma by taking us in the direction of yoga, which is the whole next section, as soon as you factor, and the extent to which you factor yoga into the karma marg or dharma marg, is as much as it starts to take you beyond the limits of the dharma or karma marg itself, to a position of not material well-being, purvati marg, acquisition, up to the limits of heaven, for example, but in the direction of nivrati marg. Nivrati marg means the path by which giving up material acquisition, the desire for such, we grow invisibly within. So as much as you factor in yoga, and yoga means sacrifice, then we, we move in from a religious orientation to a spiritual orientation. Now, the high, I guess the, when we say dharma, the high end of it you're doing the dharma because it should be done. And there's some sacrificing in there too, so there's some growth in there, but it's limited. But Arjuna is upright, dharmic, and so forth. He gave some good arguments, but again, Dharma is very complicated. The Dharma Shastras are just like volumes and volumes of dos and don'ts, and it's it's very complex. I, Sanatana Prabhu and Bhagavad Gita, in the beginning, he says something to the effect that, "Oh, praise to Krishna." When will I be able to just tread the path of bhakti and free from all this dharma stuff? All this... How, yeah, it's so so complicated. And, and the results are so limited for all that work and so forth. So we find here in this section that Arjuna had given good questions. It seemed like good good arguments based on dharma, but Krishna is saying they even more good arguments based on dharma. You don't even understand dharma very well. You're dharmic and everything, but your arguments are not that good. And so, I think that serves to illustrate my point that it's hard to get a handle on all that. And really, to apply, you have to, you know, to be able to then apply it in a dynamic sense. This is, wasn't as necessary at the time, but that was thousands of years ago that the Dharma Shashas were written. Now, to apply them in new circumstances is complicated, impossible. Therefore harinam so he says swadharmam api chaviksha na arhasi dharmyadi dhi yat in consideration of your dharma as a warrior you should not hesitate for there is nothing more righteous for a warrior than to fight for dharma itself so Arjuna earlier had argued that on the basis of dharma shastra he should not fight against the aggressors the other side was were the aggressors because in their midst were his superiors and dharma shastra says you shouldn't fight against your superiors says you should respect your superiors where Arthashastra says that Arthashastra says that an aggressor should be killed. So if someone attacks you, then you have the right to kill them. But Dharmashastra says you, sh- you shouldn't insult or in any way mistreat your superiors. So Arjun was citing the Dharmashastra, saying Arthashastra may say this, but Dharmashastra says something higher. And the Dharmashastra on the level is higher than Arthashastra. So he's making an argument. But Krishna is saying it it's not valid because the overriding argument from the dharmic point of view is that if a battle is righteous and it's for the purpose of establishing dharma, implications even if there are people on the other side who are your superiors, the dharmic nature of the fight requires that a chatriya take part in it. So you, for the sake of establishing Dharma, you may, even though Dharma says another place, you should always respect your superiors. This is an overriding principle. Therefore, you should fight, he says. So in this way, he's, he's saying, you don't get it very well. He says then what? Yadrichaya chopapanam dharam shukina yudham idrishan oparta. Warriors who get such an opportunity for battle By good fortune, rejoice, for this opens the gates to heaven for them. There's an implication here, and that is that even if you only want the fruits of religious life, like going to heaven, it's still better to follow Krishna's instructions. In other words, he's basically arguing here that, look, you can go to heaven by doing this, and by following my instruction, you can go to heaven there may be more to it as i've said earlier too but then at least you could get this there is an argument for that that even if you want material things do bhakti was that verse famous verse from yeah. second canto akama, a-kama sarvakamo va moksha kama daridi stibrena bhakti yogena yajetam purusham akama va one who has no desire akama or sarvakamo once has all kind of desires Akama Sabu Komama, Moksha Kama, or one has a desire for liberation. Tivrena Bhakti Yogena, still you should practice bhakti. <laughs> Even if you have that such other motives, still you're you're better off practicing bhakti. And you'll get those things, of course. More than that. In due course. So Krishna's guru here he tells him, you know, if you fight you're gonna go to heaven. Now Arjuna was not real thrilled about going to heaven in the past but he doesn't have many choices here he's going to stay on earth or he's going to go to heaven he said, he previously said, I don't know which of these neither one of these is appealing to me but he doesn't really have a third choice so Krishna says atā imam dharmyam saṅgramam Nakalishasi, tatā kirtim ca hitvapāpam Now. He said, Look, this is, the overriding principle is you should follow the Dharma, even if it means you have to kill your aggressors. You should, if it's a Dharma war, you should fight it, in it. You're a warrior. And if you do, this is a great opportunity because it opens the gates for heaven. It means even if you die, you go to heaven. If you don't die, then you got the kingdom here because you won. Something like that. Arjuna did say previously, Well, I don't want either one. I can't. But you have to pick one or the other. There isn't a third choice. <laughs> He's trying to make a third choice, but that's somewhat addressed here as well. So Krishna is now now if you don't take it up, if you do take it up, this is what you get. You go to heaven, you do the right thing. If you don't take it up, this is what you get. If you don't fight this righteous war, you thought you'd be dharmic, right? Mm-hmm. Arjuna thought, I'll be dharmic by not fighting. Krishna has a different idea. He says, having avoided your own dharma as a warrior, you'll you'll be culpable. You will have concurred sin. Mm. Not only that, you'll lose your reputation. So you thought by doing this, that would be the, the dharmic thing to do, but actually it's a-dharmic. You'll, 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 well you you I guess there is a third option. You'll go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what he's saying. <laughs> you said you couldn't live in heaven in you know, or in, in, on earth, an earthly kingdom, but um, your third choice is to go to hell. He's, tell, he's saying that to me, you're gonna go to hell. You're gonna be a dharmic. Akirtim chapi butani kataiashanti te bayam tasya Maranad, Atir, Ich. People will always speak of your infamy, and for a respectable person, dishonor is worse than death. Bayad Uparatam The great warriors will think that you have left the battle out of fear, and thus those who once held you in high esteem will no longer take you seriously. Your enemies will speak the unspeakable of you, decrying your ability. What could be more painful than that? So he's saying to him that people will always speak of your infamy. You'll be branded like this now. People are going to call you, Arjun, a coward. This is like really pinching the dharmic ego of of a Kshatriya, of Arjun, I mean, he had a reputation for these people in Rajagun, Of course, Arjun's a devotee, but the Kshatriya race is predominantly influenced by Rajaguna. So, precision, acquisition, climbing up the material ladder, this is all Rajaguna. To be the, get to the top of the class, to get to the top of the corporate ladder, and uh, to be decorated with uh, various medals of honor and so on and so forth. This, this reputation is a huge thing for uh, Rajagun, for the Chetrier class. So the idea that he would be called a coward is really like... <laughs> Krishna's kind of really poking him where, where it hurts, so to speak. And he makes a point that Prabhupada used to like to make also in this context. He says that for a person who was honored previously to be dishonored, this dishonor, then it is worse than death. There was a couple of instances in Prabhupada's ISKCON where leading devotee had something, let's say, in the closet, as they say, some activities that were unbecoming, and they were found out by another leading devotee, and that leading de- other leading devotee made that public. And as wrong as those things were, Crowfoot made another point. Basically, he made this point. He said, "You think that you have done the right thing by exposing this person, and what he was doing is certainly wrong. But the way you have gone about it is such that he will never be able to come back. He had such an honored position. There. In other words, there was a there was a more appropriate way to do that. Because what's the goal here? Is the goal just to dis- just to expose this fellow, and you know?" Tear him down, or is the gold help him go back to Godhead and everybody else along with him? Or is just he gonna be left out? Because he's and what's in your closet, you know? Yeah. And you may say, well, in his closet's a big thing, but he was a big person. This is to be considered. See, Bhakti is very, very generous. And now it's really meant to melt our hearts. And you can see lots of devotees out there. They don't they don't have very soft hearts mm-hmm. at all. And that doesn't mean to say that the leaders that they criticize are not worthy of criticism. They don't deserve some criticism, but the way they tend to go about it is inappropriate. And probably indicated this. It's true, that fellow never came back. One particular one I'm thinking of, he could never resurface. So it's a disservice. We want that person to go back to Godhead too. And again, he, you may say, well, I may have some things that I do that aren't good, you know, but look what he did. But who are you and who is he? So you can expect if somebody's up here, what they do is going to be magnified and it's going to have more implication. That's true. But still, he's an individual, you're an individual. For you, your things are as bad for you as those things are bad for him. Therefore, often it is said that the message of the Gita is, doctor, cure thyself. Before you go out and try to cure everybody as if you're the doctor, make sure that you're in good health yourself. There's something to be said for this. There's an interesting story also about, and, and, and Agni will relate to this one. Years ago in New York, there was uh, a leader, New York Temple in Brooklyn, who um, proved to be less than ideal. And there were two sections of devotees in the temple one section that produced evidence to bring him down, and one section that kept quiet, didn't say anything. And they think, well, he's the authority, you know, if Krishna's going to do anything, he'll do it, you know, and they didn't want to get involved. And so one of the devotees that brought forward the evidence, and they brought it to Prabhupada and so forth, he couldn't relate to the mentality of the other devotees in the temple who were not, uh, they knew there was something wrong, but they didn't want to speak out, so to speak. And Prabhupada said that there's different ways of dealing with this, and both of them were were right and so forth. and so it's it's, uh, it's not always the most appropriate thing to go and tear the guy's clothes off in public, so to speak. So Arjuna, famous person, for him to be called a coward, you've got to put the two things together. Who's Arjuna? And then for him to be known all over the world as a coward, even Krishna couldn't tolerate this. <laughs> you understand? Krishna couldn't tolerate that. Did my Arjuna who is so well known as a, he'll be called a coward i can't deal with that and the force of krishna's sense about that is coming through here you know in, the, in the, and he wants arjuna to agree with him and he shouldn't have a difficult time with that because of uh, the Chaitanya nature and anyway he says and if you think he basically saying and if you think that well okay maybe you know the guys on my side will will think I was a coward, but the other people on the other side, they'll appreciate that I, you know, backed out of the war and was compassionate towards them. And uh, Krishna's saying, that's not going to happen. They're going to be the first ones to jump on you, you (laughs) call you a coward. Nobody's going to think you are the dharmic guy here because you gave up the war. You know, don't think like that. You're kidding yourself. And uh, so then he says what? Oh, son of Kunti, either you will die in the battle and go to heaven or, having won the battle, you'll enjoy the earth. Therefore, stand with resolve and fight. Then the last verse. Sukuduke Tato yudhyaya naivam It says, considering pleasure and pain, gain and loss, victory and feat, defeat, to be equal Prepare yourself for battle without fear of incurring sin. So what he's talking about here, as I mentioned earlier, is the very mentality of yoga, of equanimity. No friends, no enemies, lack of bias. And so, of course, bhakti is a bias, that's a higher thing. But this underlying objectivity, that whether it's victory or loss... Pleasure or pain, all these things should be equal-mindedness. Equal, equal Later on, I think I mentioned you here in my commentary, in this chapter, Krishna will uh, define yoga and use the same words here, same-kṛtva, same so equal minded So this is, and as I say, taking the argument from Dharma, which he just kind of brushes through here, to yoga. And here as we'll see in the rest of this, as this unfolds this yoga is bhakti but he's talking about it in a generous way and and it could be looked at as nishkam karma yoga but he's talking about nishkam karma yoga with offering the fruit to Krishna so it's a kind of bhakti and then this is the resolution to the dilemma of well I'm not the body so I should withdraw from bodily affairs but speak of fighting and you tell me to to fight with a yogic disposition is the idea so how to interact it means with the world and not be implicated in it because you have gotta interact because that's where you're at you're not wise enough and realized enough not to interact so the knowledge I've given you about the soul you, it's hard for you to apply you can't just sit there and go okay hey i 'm not this body i 'm a soul i 'm eternal, and uh, what do I do now <laughs> it 's theoretical it's, it sounds good, but and so therefore Krishna is encouraging him to fight at the same time, but this is why And he 'll give this whole explanation in the beginning of the third chapter. Krishna will ask well i 'm not quite clear on this. Can you clear this up again? You told me you know that i 'm not the body, and then you 're still you're telling me to fight. The two still seem a little contradictory. What are you saying he 's starting to explain it here. And he will in this chapter, but Arjuna wants reiteration of that, further explanation. The beginning of the third chapter, and this carries on then. Third chapter, fourth chapter. This idea of action, and inaction, inaction, and action, action and inaction, and all these things. So it becomes a little mystical yoga is that takes us to the mystical, then to the invisible, to the backwards kind of you go forward by going backwards type of reasoning, and, and so on. So, any question? Got all that right now?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I touched on it on the end a bit. The eligibility, as you know, as students, like we say, you know, what what to do with this knowledge, uh, you know, you know, that position how to go forward, And you were saying that so eligibility is really important for us to know where we're at and what's the next step. Mm-hmm. Just like hearing chant Hare Krishna as you were speaking, I, I just remembered one, one disciple I think was the only person that he awarded Babaji. Mm-hmm. To, I remember him, yeah. Yeah. But uh, because he was in insisting on being properly, mm-hmm. even, and degvina proper reluctantly sort of even of course he couldn't maintain he couldn't maintain just to go and sit in the dharma and chant Hare Krishna. So the teacher has to knowing where Krishna knows Arjuna not not ready to like you said to this take this not and not fight and sit back. So he has to be engaged mm-hmm. practically. So, in our situation, our position, we have to be engaged because we can't just sit and chant Hare Krishna or just do nothing. But, um,
0: well, there's eligibility too. I mean, there's, there's different stages of bhakti. So, according to Eligibility for bhakti is faith in bhakti, mm-hmm. and then to come under the guidance of the guru, one can progress gradually, and there are different stages in that. So, based in the basic sense, until there's really inner life awakened, and one can access that in what we call bhajan, then one has to keep busy with shravanam, kirtanam, you know, scrubbing them and mopping them, and all such things. That would be the next level of engagement. And then some people can't be fully engaged in in doing those things. Like living here, we do all those things. All, all we do. We're doing service all day long for the deity. And the deity's paraphernalia, their cows, their crops, their place, and so on and so forth, their devotees. And then we get together and we hear about them, we sing about them, and we offer them bobe and so forth. So that's all vādi-bhakti, you know, leading towards rāg-bhakti, because that's our ideal for everyone, and um, then, you know, not everybody can do that. So then they have to mix it up with the world, but in such a way that the fruits of their action come to help here, you know, to, for example, to fund the mission and, and that kind of thing. So different levels of eligibility for different persons in bhakti also. What else?
1: I have a question about you were saying that the hypothetical two devotees, one's a big devotee, and one, their problems are the same. That doesn't totally make sense to me. Couldn't either one of them actually be worse off? Why would, it, why would the problems be the same for each
0: of them? Well, obviously, somebody could have a small problem, someone could have a big problem. Sometimes someone will have all kinds of bad habits themselves, but they'll focus on the bad habits of a leading person, but they have the same bad habits, but they'll think, well, they're not important for me because I'm not in a leading mm-hmm. position, but they're just as important for you and your spiritual progress as it is for that person in his spiritual progress. Mm-hmm. That's what I meant to say. And you know, you would do good for your own self to focus on those and dealing with them. And how are you going to deal with those by focusing on those of somebody else? I mean, there's something to be said for Krishna rectifying the whole situation. You don't have to get out there and, and risk who knows what. Vaishnava parad. you might risk Vaishnava parad. you might be wrong. Or you might go over the top. You, you certainly tread into some dangerous territory. You've already got problems of your own. And now you're going to, you know, the position of correcting someone is not the position of the inferior to correct the superior. That's not his position. He may be aware of a problem with the superior, then there's a way in which to address that. He should go to a peer, for example, of the senior person and try to address it like that. It's not that this whole, like, democratic BS Of you know everybody just out there they all got their opinion they're going to just throw it out there and they're not even an initiated person or anything like that they've got no not even enough shraddha humility to have a guru and they think they're connected to Prabhupada or something they're just going to get out there and tear apart every leader and I don't care how bad the leader is that's wrong I don't say the leader's right who's making whatever you know he's doing and it may be accurate what they say about him is possible, but it's not their position to do that. This turns the whole apple cart of bhakti upside down. It's not the way bhakti works at all. That's it's, it's making a total mess of the whole idea of bhakti. Bhakti's filled with respect for authority and so forth, and that's not an excuse just to follow somebody blindly. But the other side of it is isn't the way that many of them are approaching it. Some guy off the street, Bhakta Fred, decides, you know, he's going to tear down, you know, guru so-and-so because, you know. And again, Bhakta Fred has all kinds of problems that aren't being solved by that, that. He's not dealing with, he's preoccupied with that. To be preoccupied with finding faults in people is not a good quality. You call it justice. It's not a good quality. It's the position of someone who doesn't have faults to do that. That's what's constructive. It's not the position of the inferior to drag down the superior. It's, bhakti won't work like that. That's not going to make for a healthy international community of devotees. It's just not. And that's what you've got a lot of that going on. And these people, they risk committing Vaishnava parad. I mean, it's Christian that says a said sudaratra. What about that? Mm-hmm. Let's say you got a guy. He's done. Service for Prabhupada for you know years and pleased him personally, knew him personally, opened temples all over the world, you know maybe he translated books or who knows what, you know all kind of things like that. I got a record like that, and he's a bit of a jerk too, you know his own personal personality. He's a little egocentric, but he did all this stuff and he was sincere and you gave good classes and so forth. Then you find out some things about him that are you know unbecoming. Well, you know, you've got to balance all the things out. You've got to put them all together. I'm not saying a person is exonerated from doing any, you know, he can do whatever he wants. So no, no, that's not. But your solution isn't, uh, you know, if just attacking them in public. And this is not going to help the international community at all. Your devotion. Hmm?
1: It won't help you if you're yeah. doing
0: the attacking. And again, and who are you? What have you done? What is your position? You know, let's say he's got some problem that he, you know, pick up problem. Let's say he smokes, you know, uh, he, he, every now and then or something. That's not a very good quality, but, you know. <laughs> but if, you, if you're also smoking, and what's really the difference? You're also smoking. So, I mean, where's the decency? I mean, to lash out at somebody, you'd think a person would be a little reluctant to do that. If... Upon mentioning the subject, the person knew that I also have that attachment like that. I'm also guilty of that. I mean, they have no, you know, no, yeah, no, scruple's not the right word, but no, like, integrity, no no shame. You know, and again, this doesn't, doesn't condone misbehavior on the part of leaders, but there's a way to go about it. And some of this community is, is not... Uh, not following that. They don't un- really understand bhakti at a very basic level. It's not connected with Krishna, that kind of approach. I was sitting in the Sri Dhar I told it before, when three of ISKCON's original gurus had left, and he heard the report. I came to, to have his darshan, and he, he asked me, I heard this was true, this one, this one, and this one have fallen down, and uh, is it true? And I didn't want to tell him because I knew it would break his heart because he, you know, wanted to see those devotees advance spiritually. And finally, you know, I had to say yes, it's it's true. And he started to cry. I thought, what Prabhupada given them, and they've gone away. I can't bear that, you know. And then in one city in the United States, they're having a party celebrating that this guy's got rid. This guy's gone, you know. Yeah, yeah. The Shri is crying for the soul. I mean, so you know, what are you dealing with here? Do you have any idea with what? It's not a game. It's not a courtroom. It's not, you know, the Nuremberg trial or something like that. This is spiritual life. I'm talking about souls in eternity. And things that you do now are, are going to affect them. You know, f- it's not a game. And they charge in there like that. And, and, and there you, can be, you can be sure they're committing Vaishnava Then Then what's their position? What's the position of a person who has material desires? And what's the position of a person who has vajnavaparata on their track? Hmm? I was a kid, we were a sort of Catholic, and we used to talk about venial sins and mortal sins. So I used to envision the soul is like this glowing thing right here in your heart, and if you get a venial sin, it's a little, you know, like a little gray mark or something like that, and then you get a mortal sin, it's like a black hole... But that mortal sin, you die, the theory was if you die with a mortal sin, Mm -hmm, that's it, you're done. You know, you go to fry in hell forever. So, anyway, comparatively, material desires and shortcomings are like venial sins. Vaishnava Parad is a mortal sin. That's mortal. You're dead. (laughs) You're dead. What what does Krishna think of you then? And that's what this is all about. Then you want to debate what this is an apparatus, to tell the truth. It may be. Who commissioned you to tell the truth, you know, <laughs> to be the, you know, the, the one out there so-called saving everybody. So, anyway, we'll stop there. Chimad Bhagavad Gita Ki Jai, Guru Paramparār